All right, so we are here for Kingdom Foundations week six, which is really cool that we are now at six weeks. Um, but for those of you who are not here, then you would not be one of the four of us sitting here. Um, there are four of us sitting around a table, each with a microphone, recording a podcast episode for everyone. Um, normally we have the setting where everyone is just kind of in a room, a little bit more classroom style with a TV behind us. Um, and we thought for this, this would be really good to have a conversation around, and there's only four of us here, so we thought that would be ideal. And um, It's summertime, people are out of town, so right. we can do more of a roundtable discussion, and we have yeah. the right crew here. I like it. And it's perfect, because yeah. there's only four inputs for this whole thing, so. <laughs> Done. So perfect. we have maxed out. Nice <laughs> we can't do it. Yeah, so we thought we'd try something new. For those of you who are listening, I hope that you enjoy this and that it facilitates conversations in your circles. And if you need anything or want to talk further about it, please don't hesitate to let one of us know. We're always down to grab coffee, any of the four of us. Um, but I have sitting to my left, I have Liz and Linda and Jake and myself. And so um, tonight we're going to jump in, but let me lift this up to the Father. Let's go before him and pray for tonight, and then we will get into our content. Father, we come before you um, with this idea of a bigger gospel and the idea of a world that needs to be reminded of hope and this challenge of evangelism. God, when we hear certain words of evangelism or Christians or being the church or gospel, it reminds us of things we have learned from the past. And we need to remember, Father, that you are always rewriting those narratives, always rewriting those understandings because the gospel and this world and the society we live in is always changing. And you are the God who permeates through all of that. You are the one who always holds a relevant message for the people that you love. So we dedicate this time to you, Father. We ask that around this table, and for those who are listening on the podcast, that you would be honored and that your spirit would stir up something that advances your kingdom. We pray this, pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, okay, so to recap last week, we were talking about the idea, uh, this would be Kingdom Foundations Week 5, talking about the idea of revisiting a bigger story, and we actually narrowed that down to the bigger story being a conversation about reconciliation and redemption, and we talked about the idea of forgiveness. Um, so just real quick, we'll take some time to check in. How did you play around with forgiveness and grace over the last couple of weeks, if you're willing to share that, um, even if just give us the nutshell what um, what greater insight did you gain, if any? Oh, it messed me up, for sure. I feel like God's been challenging me on forgiveness the last two weeks. I mean, I've had constant opportunities to to sort myself out. I think, the, to me, the biggest connecting point is just the, the flat reality that we are all recipients of grace. I mean, this is simple, you know. Just this recognition that I, I have truly nothing to offer the world other than my saved self, you know, the self that's been lavished mm -hmm. with grace. Um, and so it's helped me. I mean, these last couple of weeks have been filled with interactions where I've just had to practice. Like, Jake, you, 
you have nothing to offer this conversation, the situation, other than your saved self, right? That, that person who has been given abundant grace that only exists by that grace and that only is in this position by that grace. I think that's, I don't know, that's, that's carried through definitely since that last, that last Bible study. Because, so. I, I mean, when my mom and dad and I, you know, had this long conversation afterward, which, you know, trailed into the next several days, just, you know, all sorts of things that, um, that bounce around in your life if they're not dealt with, if true forgiveness has not found its way into some of these friendships and these relationships. So, yeah. Yep, I was frustrated with you after that one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but in a good way. Mm-hmm. No, I'm all right with it. Yeah. Well, I think there's um, a reason that we all kind of avoid the forgiveness conversation because it's not easy and it's not fun to either ask someone for forgiveness or to be asked for that, right? Like, it's not, when you're put in a situation where that has to happen, it's not like, oh yeah, let's just go ahead and do this. It's a lot of like, I need to self-examine, you know, examine myself. I need to really look at this situation and it's not fun. But in the end, when you do re- realize that that grace has been given to all of us, none of us are perfect, even in the giving of forgiveness or receiving of that, we just have to cling on to that grace, yeah. ultimately. Yeah, that's the ultimate, God's grace is the ultimate answer to, I know God, I have to forget him. Yeah, but, blah, blah, blah. The yeah, but's in my head of, yeah, but don't, I mean, but how am I supposed to do that when, you know, and in this conversation with the Lord of my offense or hurt or whatever it is, you know, and just, it, it doesn't stand up. He's like, yeah, but. Yeah. I, he's got the ultimate, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's the cross. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I like the way you connected that conversation back to that, the, the first kingdom foundations kind of concept, which is the reconciliation of all things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like that that found its way into the grand narrative, right? The bigger story is the thing that God is doing. And so if we're unable to truly find forgiveness, you know, truly find reconciliation in these relationships, and every strand in our being doesn't want to do that most of the time. Most of the time, there's a self-righteousness that sort of permeates. Well, and, yeah, most of the time, it's, well, I was right. Yeah. You're yeah. wrong. So, so I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. I hear right. that one a lot. And there's a, and it, it just shows you don't, you're not living the story, right? There's this larger story being told where, you know, God is, is putting all things right, <laughs> you know, including you and I, and if we're living into that story of reconciliation, that's, I mean, yeah, forgiveness is, is, is going to just have to be a part of our lives. <laughs> you know, it's going to have to be part of our new identity. So I know that's not, we're, we've got a whole other topic to cover tonight, but that was, it was a good one. It was helpful. Actually, last week and, and this week are going to be very, very similar. And so I do ask it because I think it's important to recap and revisit the things that we've been challenged. And like I said last time, if the Holy Spirit is stirring stuff up in our lives to live out and be obedient to, then it makes all the sense in the world to come back together as the people who discovered it together and ask, how'd that go for you? Well, I'm still tripping over it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm still wrestling with it. And that leaves room for someone in the group to be like, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee afterward. Or, hey, tomorrow, why don't we meet up and keep talking? Because the ultimate goal is transformation, and if the Spirit is stirring stuff up, there's a gift in community. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big parallel yeah. to what we're going to be talking about today, and what we're going to be doing is going back to Jake's second lesson uh, when we did Kingdom Foundations 2, which was a bigger gospel, 
And uh, we talked about Jesus and the good news. Um, we talked about back to the beginning. We talked about back to the beginning even farther. We talked about the anti-kingdom. We talked about the difference between two different gospels. There is a, a gospel for the self and the reconciliation, and there is also the gospel for society and community, seeing the world transformed. Um, but the part that really got me to really launch into what we're going to be talking about tonight is this idea of the cry. There is a cry in the world um, that the church is called to respond to, and I think that that is why we are here, and I believe that's why we have breath in our lungs. I believe that was given um, to the nation of Israel at the very beginning when he fashioned a people who would represent him was to reconcile the world back to this God who loves us um, by his design and by his choice. And so with that, we are looking into what does that bigger gospel look like? Um, and the more I spent time on it, the more it just made sense that we would spend time looking at evangelism and hopefully ending on this redemption of the word evangelism. Because a lot of the times when we think about evangelizing or evangelicals or anything related to that word around that idea of the good news and preaching that good news, it kind of comes with this small rain cloud or small shade tree that comes with it, like, okay, there's, there's a downside to it. And if we can look at or inspect um, a redesign of the word evangelism, then maybe it does hold its initial purpose. And, and that's what we're going to be exploring tonight. Um, so at the very beginning, we are going to talk about the response to the cry. And that is that we are a community of hope. Um, we see people where they are, and we are resolved to a bigger gospel. But what is the bigger gospel? And this is where it kind of reaches back into last week about reconciliation and forgiveness. But let me just kind of open it up. We'll take a couple minutes. Uh, what is the bigger gospel? What are we stepping into? Um, what is that bigger gospel? Well, what well, is the gospel to begin so with? The way Go we ahead. framed it up was as good news, right? Something has happened. And as a result of that thing that happened, everything is different, right? Everything is being redeemed, reconciled, restored, transformed. And that includes us, right? So to me, the smaller gospel has always been kind of that. And that's where you front load the word evangelism, right? Like me doing something to you, me getting you saved. So I'm evangelizing you. And it's almost, again, it's me doing this to you. Whereas the bigger gospel to me is this thing that God has done. It's this thing that happened in concrete history that has now affected everything and we are invited to embrace and live that story, right? Of a, of a redeemed world, of possibilities for reconciliation, like we were talking about before, a tomorrow that's different than today. So to me, that's bigger gospel locates at God, right? And, and the thing that happened in Jesus, the smaller gospel locates on you and I and what happens in me, um, which is a part of it, right? But it's not the whole story. So does that make sense? Yeah, and I think if I can be honest with my own life and with watching other Christians wrestle with this is that when it becomes something that is bigger than just myself, uh, I get awkward and the church gets awkward. Mm. And that's where maybe you have some, some stumbling misconceptions about what evangelism is because when it now has to, that rubber has to meet the road, it becomes um, very public and this is where a lot of Christians in the past have experienced rejection or isolation or anything, a lot of negative response from a world. And so who's going to throw themselves into that, you know, and say, yes, I'll go in and I will figure out what it means to evangelize or spread this word. 
Um, but that's what we're going to look into tonight. Um, the, re- the proper response, though, to the cry that I want to keep our eye on is to follow the Holy Spirit's prompt into being salt, the salt of the earth, as Matthew 5 says, and then the next part of that verse says, a city on the hill, mm-hmm. is that if we leave ourselves open to be facilitated as salt and as light and as a city, um, then God will do his work in us. And redemption and reconciliation and that bigger gospel does unfold. So we're going to open up with Colossians 1, 1 through 14. And that was something that we actually talked about in the Second Kingdom Foundations class. Um, but let's take a second to read it. Um, if you're listening online, go ahead um, and just hit pause and find it. Colossians 1 to 14, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You've had this expectation ever since you first heard of the truth of the good news. This is the same good news that came to you along, came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all of his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Can we just go ahead and have Linda read the whole story, the whole Bible, like audio it, and that way, it was so calming. Yes, it was so calming. I was actually going to crack a joke and say that you should take up a Side job recording audiobooks. There you go. See? It's very good. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Nicely thanks. read. Thanks. I hope you podcast listeners enjoyed that. That was. <laughs> but yeah, so what I love about this passage um, is that it's kind of a kind of a capsule for what we're going to be talking about. So let me open it up. What are the things that you noticed? I know it's a lot, it's a big chunk, but what did you notice? I like in the NIV at least, it uses the word good news. Mm. It uses good news for the gospel. I just, I appreciate when somebody uses that phrasing rather than saying gospel because I feel like gospel is this Christianese word that is, again, like evangelism loaded. Um, And it's a good news that starts somewhere, right? Verse six, came to you and is going out all over the world, bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Um. There's already something bigger happening here than just the spiritual thing in my heart. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the good news is doing something large, um, something transformative, something earth changing. So, which I appreciate. It's personal, but it's personal in a way that's changing the world. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they say that also in verse 6 where it says in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it's been doing among you mm-hmm. since the day you heard it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, I have an NLT. Verse 8. That's You guys have NIV. That's I have yeah. NLT. Yeah. Verse 8 really struck, struck me where it says, he's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you, hmm. which to me is such a relief because it's not something we have to generate. You know, mm-hmm. this thing is moving and God's giving us, his people, love for for others. And he's doing that. It's not just us gutting it out. And it's changing things here and now, not just something's going to happen when we die. We get to go be with Jesus. You know? mm-hmm. Just like how it's been repeated a few times, you know, we always thank God mm-hmm. for you when we've been praying for you. That's said at least twice just these 14 verses. So there's something too about the gospel that connects all believers. Like that's the thing that ties us all together is this thing that has happened that is reconciling the whole world. Mm. And with that, we're praying for one another. And we thank God for the other believers who are doing other things all over the world. There's also just, I mean, you, I don't know if you're going to get into all this stuff, but there's hints of a much larger story going on here. When any Anytime you see the word inheritance, that mm. takes us back to, Egypt and Moses and the whole larger story of this thing that's going on, you're now being invited into the thing that God has been doing from the very beginning. Um, the gospel is not something new, you know, in, in, the, in the biblical story. It's been happening since at least as far back as Exodus 3, um, but really as far back as Genesis 3, you know. So now you're invited to participate in this in a brand new way. I love this I mean, it feels like a little daily multivitamin, you know? I mean, it's got, like, all of the complexities sort of packed in there. And what I, what I see when I read this, which we're going to be unpacking together, is um, that gospel or living out that obedience is just as much word as it is deed, which is something we're also going to be getting into. So, yeah, that's great. And we're going to be breaking it down a little bit more. So let's jump in. One of the things that we've talked about in this Kingdom Foundations class is that if we don't stand or build on proper narratives, that is a proper understanding, then we run the risk of um, part of that structure being jeopardized. If you think about uh, a building being secured to a faulty foundation, at some point that part of the building is going to have to be torn down and then the foundation report and then rebuilt, um, which poses a lot of problems. And that's something that naturally we do as we grow in our understanding, but um, for the sake of living it out as best we can, it's proper to have a, a, a good understanding. And so the first thing that we want to address is the false narrative. So let's look specifically at the idea of sharing faith and living out um, or preaching the gospel to non-believers or to people who have maybe even fallen asleep in in their faith, so to speak. Um, the first narrative that we look at is that, that I think a lot of people stumble with or stumble over is only certain people can share their faith. Only certain people can be evangelists. And I have that marked down as false. A lot of the times we believe that I'm not good at it or I've tried and I just kind of stammer and stutter through or... I've seen people witnessing and uh, I'd be embarrassed to try or I'm afraid that I'm going to offend somebody in my faith or I feel like a hypocrite because I'm not perfect and if anybody is going to hear me start to talk about Jesus, they'll quickly remind me of my past and what I've, what I've done. 
Um, or if I bring up my faith, I'm afraid they're going to reject me. Um, or I can't bring up my faith um, because I'm not educated enough. And what I find in those reasons is that a lot of the repeating theme is fear. A lot of the repeating theme is fear, is that only certain people can share their faith because or find ways to disqualify themselves. Um, I don't see that in this passage. I sort of see it as a, as a living in it and being steeped in it, and it just sort of is part of who you are, which is why I find that idea false. Or the other one that dawned on me as I was sort of thinking about all this this week uh, was that the gospel is only meant for unreached indigenous people in the world, people who uh, are still living tribal or who are Muslim or something else. And so I think about that sometimes, that um, the gospel is only reserved for those who share it overseas, um, which uh, that, is, that is not terribly that's it, i'm sorry i went no, off you're my right head on there that's an old missiological yes like, it you know, is if you went to seminary in the 80s and 90s that that was common i mean like, this mm-hmm. is this is an already gospeled culture right so this culture has already received the good news so the goal here is to get it out to the ends of the earth and um yeah i i hope we've we've gotten a little bigger than that well you you mean you say that yeah. like it's an old thing but that's still very much yeah in our you know church's dna yeah. you know and the global churches that we have to go over there to share the gospel because our people have already received it. Like yeah. our, our culture is a Christian culture. So we don't need it here. They need it over there, which isn't wrong. People do need it, but they need it in both places. Mm-hmm. Here yeah, and both there are valid. Right. As a person who was part of over there yeah. and getting it over there, um, you know, part of that is making sure everyone has the opportunity to hear in a culturally relevant and linguistically mm-hmm. comprehensible way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't have to change a barrier of cultural language in order to hear about Jesus. Um, whereas here, there are many opportunities to hear about him, but it doesn't always connect. You know, Just because you can go down the street to a church and hear about Jesus doesn't mean that people here want that message or will be able to respond to that message because it's not connecting with the cry of their heart. And so that's where I think repackaging, what does it mean to share the gospel? It's not some canned thing. It's this whole message of reconciliation is so powerful. One of the reasons why I stuttered over my words there and I kind of spaced out was that I had kind of had this moment of realizing, I had read over the week of this Korean pastor who sent his developing missionaries to the United States to be developed and trained up. And they were so comfortable in the lifestyle here that they stayed. They stayed. <laughs> and so the pastor isn't going to make that same decision to send people to the States. And so I'm like kind of getting slapped by that now as we're talking about it of like, yes, like maybe sometimes we are the people that need missionaries sent to us, but that's a rabbit trail. Um, did you want to add something? <laughs> no, I, 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 I love both. I mean, I love the like hardcore the linguists that went out to Papua New Guinea to yeah. translate, you know, the Bible into 800 different languages. That's all, that was all like thrilling stuff. Yeah. But I think we, I think the American, the North American or Western church lost something in that bargain. I mean, we, we talked about missionaries, like Liz was saying, as, as a thing that gets sent away, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like just goes back to a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel actually is and does. Yeah. You know, Colossians 1 
that whole chapter, but really the section you, you talked about, I love that. It's like this thing that's supposed to flow out of us as a result of this transformation that's happened in us. You know, it's, it's not a set of words we need to get people to believe. It is, it's something that has altered the fundamental fabric of reality. And we're inviting people to see that. And gosh, I mean, that's, it's just such a difference, a wider um, understanding. And that it's bearing fruit all over the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, it's, it's something that, yeah, is flowing out of the believers all over the world. And I, I think that's one of the most beautiful parts of that, of that passage, too, is that, you know, we're seeing it. We're seeing the fruit, even in Paul's time. And, you know, yeah. back then they were seeing fruit all over right. the world, where how big the world was back then. And even now it's even bigger. Yeah, it's you and me and here and everywhere. And, and I mean, Linda can attest to the, the contextualization is not just us contextualizing the message. It's like, what does a transformed society look like in this, in, that, that, that clearly Christ and God's people have come in and they've brought the good news, right? The whole good news exactly. where a city gets changed, you know? That's contextualized transformation. Um, to me, that's layered into Paul's words here, you know? Like the gospel has done this big work everywhere. And so part of missions is just going and laying eyes on what God's doing, you know, and yeah. celebrating it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that, that's a rabbit trail. It's, a, it's an exciting one. Maybe that's for next time. So this is one of the lessons that I had pages of content, and I had gone to different books, like, try and have this power-packed conversation. And I love that it has become a conversation because what it's doing is is all of my notes are sometimes, I've, like, scratched stuff off as I've been going through here because it's it's irrelevant to the conversation we're having now because God is stirring something up in the four of us right now. And for those who are listening, and that's more important than all my best laid plans. So, if <laughs> sorry, if, no, it's great. Actually, you gave us this, all a microphone, I man. So. I know it's this is really so, your fault, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's going to make you want to come be here in person next time, huh? Wink, wink. Um, if the false narrative is that only certain people can share their faith, what is the true narrative? that all Christians share their faith. Absolutely. It's not that all Christians have to or need to, it's that all Christians share their faith. Do. They do. Yeah, we're sending a message out. We are living a message and speaking a message, whether we're consciously intentional about that or not. Yeah. Yeah. The, I was thinking about it in, in terms of um, like a scent, Right, you you have a particular laundry detergent, um, or um, if you grew up in a home, or I had people in my class, you knew that their parents smoked because when they came to class, they they smelled like cigarettes. Which the point being to that is that the gospel is is like that for us. It is an essence that we leave behind in a conversation, or in a room, or in whatever encounter we have, and it's not offensive like cigarette smoke so I don't mean to make that analogous but the the gospel is like an essence that we leave behind after an encounter Um, but that's the end goal because it's the process that is vital to that outcome if we look at sharing our faith or sharing the gospel as some structure or or um, framework that we have to abide by and make sure we get the whole package done and and um transmitted just a, a particular way so that in the end we can make the closing argument and and win them over to buy into the gospel. I think we're looking at it incorrectly. The goal is, of course, yes, we want them to put their faith 
in what Christ has done for them and for them to realize that what he has done on the cross does forgive them of their sins. And there's this, this time where we step out of the way and that person and the father sort of do the business they've needed to do. Um, that's the end goal, but the process is vital because a proper process of development in our hearts leads to a better outcome in our evangelism or sharing of that good news. So here's what I mean. If we can understand the story correctly, then we have a proper understanding of hope. So let's look at the passage again, and in particular Colossians 1, 3 through 6. And I'll read it. It goes like this. This is the NIV version. Uh, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from hope, from the hope stored up for you in heaven. And about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So let's pause there. The faith and love that comes from hope. And the hope that is stored up for us. And hope is a confidence in a good future. Hope suggests that there is still something coming, even, even in the worst of times. So if we lose hope, we lose our belief that something better is coming. There's a good future. If we remain in hope, we believe that something still good is yet to come, even in the worst of circumstances. But faith and love come from that hope. So if we want to display our proper faith and our proper love for God and for others, it comes from being grounded in that hope. Hmm. N.T. Wright says something like this, the solid facts about the future hope of Christians are a powerful motivation for constant faith and costly love in the present. And uh, I believe there's another, oh yes, um, Greek, Greek Orthodox bishop, or their equivalent to a bishop. His name is John D. Z. <laughs> Anybody know this one? Okay, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna wing it, and we'll do the best we can. Zizoulas, Z-I-Z-I-O-U-L-A-S. He says this: the Christian community has its roots in the future, and it has its branches in the past, in the present. It has its roots in the future, and it has its branches in the present. The ecclesia or the church or the community of Jesus finds its origins in the future. And that future is bright and certain and unshakable because of Jesus and his finished work. And hope is the bridge from the future into the present. And the branches of that hope are faith and love. It's beautiful. N.T. Wright says this. He says, a mission-shaped church... And this is church in the sense of of believers who gather. A mission-shaped church must have its mission shaped by hope. That the genuine Christian hope rooted in Jesus' resurrection is the hope for God's renewal of all things. For his overcoming of corruption, decay, and death, and for his filling of the whole cosmos with his love and grace, his power and glory. Roots in the future, roots in the resurrection, roots in the eternal victory of Jesus, roots that are firmly planted in eternal life, roots that nourish the trunk and the branches and ultimately produce fruit 
that draws others into the story. And then Wright concludes with this. He says, to be truly effective in this kind of mission, one must genuinely and cheerfully be rooted in God's renewal. We have a real reason to cheer. The more we know the story, the more we rejoice. So the question then that I, I'll leave you to, to ponder with, we'll continue on, is what do you hope for? If we are to represent a hope that is yet to come, and that allows us to have faith and to love God and to love others, that is what is displayed in the here and now, being the branches. But our roots are yet to come. So in order for us to understand that and to then go deeper into it, we have to understand the story of transformation in our own life. Um, and that comes in terms of death, resurrection, ascension, and return. Um, we die to our old self. We are brought up because of what Christ has done into a new identity, a new life, a new spirit. Um, and we ascend to sit next to him. And we anticipate his return. Um, that is that complete story of redemption. But in order for us to properly understand our placements and our evangelism, we need to see... Um, and before we even experience the two different ways that we share our faith, which is words and actions, I want to turn our attention to the foundation of the story. Because, as it says, the more uh, you understand that story, the more it becomes your story. And the more it becomes your story, the more it naturally will come forth in your words and in your actions. Which is why I think it's key for us to understand our evangelism or our proclamation of that good news is that essence because when we spend more time in that in that understanding and being humbled by that story it just sort of comes out of us so a lot of us have had training in sharing the gospel or a proper ideology that you need to share the gospel in four or five steps or you have the certain methodology and I think it's important a lot of the times that when we're handed something like that, that we, we strip it away and we see it as methodology that could be a useful tool for us, but something that we need to, um, it needs to come from a place of, of organic understanding as opposed to someone else's imposed method because then it becomes problematic. And I think that may be where, from what I have seen, I don't want to speak for all of the history of evangelism, but from what I have seen, um, where sometimes it goes wrong is where you are forcing, like you were saying, Jake, where you are forcing an idea on someone else. And a lot of the times when I see that happening, I wonder to myself, like, do you even believe this to begin with? Like, is this something that you honestly have accepted for yourself? Not that it's my place to question that. I just wonder, as the person who is, is being evangelized to, it's like, well, how much of this are you, are you rooted in? Or are you just recycling someone else's material? Which is dangerous when you're talking about the gospel. Um, so when we can understand our place in the story and what has been done for us, which reaches back to last week, grace and reconciliation and forgiveness in our life, it becomes something that we now extend to other people. Um, in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, I'm sorry, because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us all alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up 
with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So then we go, once we understand that, we start to put it on for ourselves. We start to, to try it out. And this is where I think it's okay to give yourself a pass as you fumble through what it looks like to share faith. I mean, if you, if you look at my life, right here I am talking about sharing the gospel and reconciliation. And I lead worship and, and I'll even preach at different churches. But at the same time... Um, like it's not known how much I sometimes lose my temper, right? So I know me, I know where my faults are, and I have to embrace that, but it's in me embracing my temper, or in me embracing what God is still doing in my life, that I now have the ability to give grace to where other people are still being transformed, and I essentially invite them into that good news that there is hope beyond their inability to see past their own aggression or frustration. Um, there was someone that I was talking with recently and, and it comes up a lot with this person where we talk about how difficult it is to be a good dad. And there's empathy in there because like I have struggled and desired to be a really good dad, but I also struggle with being a really good dad. And so in that, we sort of come together as two men who are trying to be good dads and we give each other grace and remind each other that in the end, um, sometimes there have been worse dads and they still have relationships with their kids. And even though we mess up, our kids still love us. There's this hope that there is still a story unfolding, and the same is true of the gospel. Brennan Manning had a, a quote, which he is um, he's sometimes a little bit of a straight shooter. Christianity is not primarily a moral code, but a grace-laden mystery. It's not essentially a philosophy of love, but a love affair. It's not keeping the rules with clenched fists, but receiving a gift with open hands. So now as we continue our discussion, we look at sharing that hope and evangelizing in two different ways. There is hope in action and there is hope in words. So hope in action... Um, is, is analogous, if you've heard the um, St. Francis's quote, preach the gospel wherever you go, when necessary, use words. Um, that is a, a profound understanding, maybe of someone who's never heard that, because our lives preach the gospel all the time. I was told this in ministry, that lessons that we want to impart to the people that we are leading Lessons that we want our kids to pick up are so much easier caught than taught. That's another phrase that we throw around. Um, they are watching what we do. They are not watching how perfect I can get it, but they are watching the way that I ask for forgiveness. They are watching the way that I repent. They are watching the way that I am um, crumbled and humbled before. I guess humbled was the word I was looking for, but crumbled rhymed, humbled by what Christ has done in my life. And in seeing that, I invite them to follow after me. Um, if we're honest, we're not ever going to have a perfect day exemplifying the kingdom of heaven the way it's supposed to be, but we're not called to be perfect. We're called to be witnesses to the larger story that has produced hope in us.
can probably hear the train going by. That's our, our nightly train. Colossians 1, 5 through 6, just bringing that back up, we read that already, that faith and love springs forward from hope, and our hope is in the future of what Christ has done. Who we are, the one whom Christ dwells, in whom Christ dwells, where we live in the unshakable kingdom of God, and to what we are destined, the eternal glory with Jesus becomes the foundation for our evangelism, for our hope. It's important that we know who we are, where we live, and to where we are destined, because that becomes the springboard from which we live. Um, Brennan Manning also had another quote, which I guess I'll paraphrase it, is that the, the unbelieving world watches what we do, and our actions, as the saying goes, speak much louder than words. And so letting Christ transform that part of our life, not feeling the pressure to white-knuckle our life, but to display what the gospel has done in us, is far more transformative in a world who is watching than trying to keep it all together and be perfect, which is a problem. Um, the next one would be hope in words. And 1 Peter 3, 5. Um, oh, I just had it right here. There we go. No. 3.15. Sorry, that was going to sound really weird. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. When it is time for us to use words, a lot of the times it just becomes um, a verbal explanation of the life that we're living it's sort of that conversational piece as opposed to the, the leading out, the thing we lead out with, which living in San Francisco for five or six years and, and visiting there and being in the Bay Area, there's a lot of times where people are, they lead out with their words and they lead out with words that are not, um, how did it say in here, gentle or respectful. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a misrepresentation of this life transformed in humility. Mm -hmm. So the call is not to recite our script, or to take them through a four-step plan to freedom, the key that I have found is pairing the saint who sins with the not-yet-saint who sins, with the one who has the capacity to transform all sinners into saints. So D.T. Niles has a quote, um, evangelism in Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. We've used that. We've discussed that. But that is, that is it. And I've adapted his quote to evangelism and Christianity. And his quote is really just, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. But when we use our words, that's what it should look like. So our witness is an extension of the Father's heart to see the world reconciled back to himself and saved from the effects of sin. When we allow our witness to be the essence that lingers in the room, we leave traces of hope that we have found and we cling to. We're participating in God's plan of reconciliation. And I'll end with this um, before we get into our action step. And it came from a comedian that I was listening to, and he sort of broke down his process of a joke. And he said, well, there's the setup. And the setup is you paying attention to the room and you being aware of where your joke is going to end up. 
so that it ends in the right place and then you can hit them with the punchline. And so he says a lot of work goes into a proper setup because um, they really need to be at that specific place and then you deliver the punchline. But the punchline isn't so much the end of the joke or the thing that everyone laughs at because it's a, f a funny something. It is different than where they thought the story was going. It is the sharp turn. And I thought, I was listening to that, I thought, oh my gosh, like that is the gospel. Like the setup is the world that we live in and it is all trending in a particular direction. And it is the crowd who is waiting for the, the comedian or the speaker to get to that punchline. But it's just so stretched out that they're like, when, when is this joke actually gonna arrive at its point? But the thing is, is that you have people in the audience who have heard the joke before, or they know where it's going. And I don't mean to imply that the gospel is a joke, right? But um, that is so much the world we live in. There's a world that is on the edge of their seat, wondering if there's something else that is going to happen, or when this thing is going to drop. And then at just the right point, the person who's delivering message delivers the punchline. And it takes the unexpected turn. But there are people in the audience who knew it was going to take that turn because they're aware of what happened on, on the cross. They're aware of what happened on the cross, and so they are anticipating what comes next. But they don't know when the comedian is going to deliver their, their executed punchline. So, yeah, were you going to say something? Oh, it's just a really beautiful way of framing it. I like, I like, the, uh, I like the idea that everybody sees the setup. You know what I mean? Everybody's waiting for the setup, but everybody's giving a different punchline. They're all defining it differently. Mm -hmm. You know, we've we've got the ultimate yeah. definition. You know, the, the description of the problem and the solution. And um, yeah, I I think yeah, that's just a that's a, a neat kind of novel way of framing things for me. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. We are the people who in the audience have hope that it's going to be worth waiting for. <laughs> it's going to be that good thing and. And the person leans over next to you and says, just wait. Yeah. Just wait for yeah. what's coming. Yeah. So we choose to be the people on the edge of our seat, chuckling with anticipation, reminding the people next to us to stay engaged. And that's what evangelism boils down to, is that reminder that hope is still unfolding. But the beauty of it is that we don't have to wait until Christ's return or wait until the day that we die to go see him face to face to realize that it was all worth it. We see it unfolding in front of us. We see God's kingdom advancing right in front of us. And, and at one point, by his designation, the world will be set right the way that it was supposed to. But until then, we are called to be ambassadors, salt and light and a city on a hill, to be reminding people that there is hope worth hanging on to and not giving up that hope and realizing or letting go of the idea that there's a brighter, good future coming. So with that in mind, we still want to leave ourselves open to the idea of sharing the gospel because what it doesn't do um, is when fear starts to boil up inside of us to use our words or to live our life differently, especially for people who are trying to, to figure this out. If we, if we put our focus on just being um, rooted in what God has done and where that story collides with us, it removes the fear but now we have to fix our mind on being ambassadors. We can't forget that we're ambassadors, right? I live in the east side of our town and I can't forget about the fact that our family is on mission in that part of town. Liz, the same is for you, which it is for you too as well. It just isn't on the east side of town, right? We can't forget about the fact that our home is a representation of a kingdom coming. 
we can't forget about the fact that our kids and our lives are representations of um, the life that is good. And so we hang on to that, but then it comes down to like, okay, I have this person in my life, and, and it's really on my heart to see them come to know Christ, and I feel like God is stirring something up inside of me, but I'm just not sure how to move forward with that. And I know it sounds like the cliche Christian answer, but when you are steeped in prayer and you are learning the Father's voice, you are learning to hear from God, it's those little interactions, those little porch conversations or the run-ins at the coffee shop or anything in the city where you have these moments to remind people that there's hope, that all builds into a crescendo that will drop in their life for when they say, you know what, I can't not have this. I can't not have this in my life. I can't not be a part of something that's bigger. And, and I know that I'm safe with you because you've built rapport with that person. You don't have it all together. I don't feel the pressure to have it all together. You seem to live a life that points toward a hope in the future. And I don't have that. And I need that. Yeah. And so you're thinking like, okay, this is it. Like God is doing something right in front of me. And Fear starts to take over if you think about it too much, right? But you, you let go of that and you steep yourself in prayer and you watch and you reach out and you, you listen to what's going on. You connect with them and then you make yourself available to just being a part of that conversation that God wants to have with this person. And then it just kind of takes the pressure off when you realize that it's actually God who's wanting time with them. And you are an ambassador of his goodness and his love. And, and it's complicated. I could go on forever. I think you've done a masterful job decomplicating it. I, I really do. I think you know, there's something in here that causes me, first of all, to want to just have such a vibrant relationship with God that it's coming off of me. Yeah. You know, that I'm le- yeah. leaving that essence where I go. I think that's, that's maybe the piece of gospel sharing that I'm, I'm catching from this is I just, I have to be so full that it, that it makes sense to someone who's with me, you know, but yeah, that's, I don't know. It's good stuff. Yeah. Linda, you walked in here saying, um, like, I'm not, evangelism is not my thing. Well, I think living my faith openly Mm -hmm. is kind of my thing. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not a person who's intentionally thinking of, sorry, I'm not a person who's intentionally thinking of how am I going to share the message of Jesus' death and resurrection with this individual person. That's that's not how I'm thinking, and maybe I should, but I've just tried to, especially when I lived internationally, just tried to live my life talking about God because he's real Mm -hmm. and so it's like you know now I'm a mom I've got kids I talk to my friends about what's happening in our family and I've got kids and so and so is doing this and so to talk with people who don't know the Lord about the Lord he's in my life and Mm -hmm. he's real and how he's answering prayer that's in in some of the contexts I was in that was a new you know thing for people And so here in the States to talk with our neighbors and and just the reality of God's real in my life Mm -hmm. and how he's answering prayer and how, you know, wow, I was thinking about you or praying for you and I felt like God wanted me to share this song with you or whatever. 
you know, just that you're saying, I think I heard God wanted me to share something with you. It's almost like he's, I'm looking at this picture of the Lord on the wall, this painting. And when you were talking about, you're waiting for the punchline. I feel like as he's, as he's talking, he's hitting different people. He's like, you got that punchline that hit you, but the other people are, are like not getting it. But it's almost like boom, 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 boom. Different people are getting something that totally connects with them. And we just have to be alongside inviting them to the party. <laughs> you know, trust me, this is good. He's going to get you, you know. I think some of that is just being in and around people that don't share that hope and don't have that. Yeah. Being in a place where that, because I, I guess you shared that at the beginning and then as, as Cameron started to kind of walk through and to me decomplicate the whole gospel sharing thing, um, I just can't help but to think that that, at least as I've been in relationship with you, you live that way pretty constantly. I mean, you're constantly gospeling. Um, yes, but it's, it's a different definition. It's not yeah. the traditional church definition See, of I think we just you're an evangelist you know, you know like you're the person who's in front of a stadium or you're yeah, on the let's soapbox. toss that let's you know toss i mean that, that has to be person, thrown out yeah is an evangelist not, and, yeah yep i, mean, I think too we've taken evangelism into at least like when i was in college i actually took like an evangelism class i had to for my major and it was a lot of like go to the small Strike up a conversation with a stranger. And this was before cell phones or anything. So it's not like, it's true. If I had a great conversation with him, there was really no way for us to, as he was going to, or they were going to call whoever it was, There's was no going to call my yeah. like home phone line or the universe. I mean, there was no yeah. way, there was no follow up. And not that, not that God can't use that situation, but this is talking more about your everyday life. You know, Eugene Peterson talks about, you know, when he, in his message um, translation, you know, learning the unforced rhythms of grace. And that's what we walk in. And that's what people see. Like, come to me if you're tired, because this is how I'm going to teach you how to walk. And, it, and it's a different, it's not in um, becoming a numbers thing. It's, this is my lifestyle. Yeah. My lifestyle is where I am, like, permeating the gospel out of me, wherever, I, wherever I'm going. Which means I have to be saturated with that constantly. Like, I've, I've got to live that stuff. Like, I, my time with the Lord, it can't just be devotional time. Like, it has to to define who I am at that point gospeling or you know evangelizing <laughs> it becomes real it becomes very easy you know it becomes free and light and I think I was just kind of going back to that that statement I, I see that in you you know and I see that in others that I'm that I'm privileged to be around right now is they kind of just it sheds from them all the time this is what God has done you wouldn't believe it and there, there's totally hope Jake don't worry about the situation that happened this last week it's going to be fine Cameron don't worry dude I know that being a dad right now is a struggle. I know your kids are in a certain phase of life and you know the one's fighting with the other one and you have this constant scripture living out, but I have this hope, right? Like, you know, through Christ, through the good news in my life, you know, I, I, can, I can confidently say to you that it gets better, you know, as you continue to press into the Lord, as you continue to pray over your kids, as you continue to trust that he has a beautiful story that he's telling for them and it's your job to, to, to help whittle that away. You know, like that's the gospel, you know, me sharing with you that you're going to be okay as a dad, <laughs> you know, because Christ is in us. There's hope in that, you know, I don't know. And you said earlier about where it talked about we're connected to this broader body, you know, and maybe we don't personally have this one unique experience like you have, but we know God is faithful because of what we experience, but because of our friends have, ex our other brothers and sisters in Christ have experienced something similar. 
And so it's like we're not only drawing from our own experience of God's faithfulness, but the entire body and the history. And, you know, we've got from the very beginning of the book, it's all true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, my challenge to us as we, as we wrap up is, um, and to those of you who are listening, is to take some time, why not tonight? And slow down and ask God, like, who, who is that person that you have been setting up conversations um, with me to have? Or who do you plan on those conversations being set up with? And teach me to walk in sync with you so that when those conversations or that time does arise, that, that I can be your mouthpiece. I can speak to them. I can remind them of the hope that you have shown me. And... If that's where the conversation comes to an end, so be it. If it goes further, if it's scheduled coffee over and over again, whatever it is, who is that person and what do you want me to do? Someone told me this today and, and I just thought it was so good. So I, maybe I'll share it as our closing piece. Is that there's a lot of brokenness in the world around us. And it's very easy for us, especially in an, in an age of social media, to feel like we have to get our voice out there and we have to be super, super involved with whatever conflict is going on or whatever injustice we see in the world demands. Like, you have to have a voice in this, otherwise you're part of the problem. And a lot of the times we react to jump in there somewhere instead of just sitting back and saying, okay, God, this is a huge problem and I know it grieves your heart, but what is my role in this? Maybe there's a neighbor who lives next to you and it's like, okay, God, you see their... I can hear them screaming. You can hear them screaming. I can hear what they're screaming and what they're doing. Um, something is going on, and I so desperately want that to be different for them because you have shown me a hope. But what role do I play in that? Mm-hmm. And continuing to maintain that posture of openness of what is my role in this, if any, is what really opens up the doors for us to be able to share the gospel fluidly. And Linda, like you were saying, and like I would agree, you do on a regular basis, you you live it out. You are always sharing. It's just kind of always there. And, and we do it differently. Different personalities, different backgrounds, different whatever's, different understandings really do exemplify the gospel differently. Um, but it's a multifaceted gospel. And we are all doing it. And so just being open to be used by God is um, really the name of the game. So that is my challenge. And I will be praying that God will set you up with opportunities. Um, to be his hands and feet, to live and to speak, to give testimony to that hope that is coming. So that's all I have for tonight. Um, we're going to go ahead and close out here, but for those of you listening, thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Take care.